Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got a good friend of mine, Abu Ali, with me. And we're going to delve into the world of corporate finance. Uh, Abu, welcome to the GrowCFO show. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much. Uh, Pleasure to be here. Abu, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like me, you're a chartered accountant and you run your own business, Williams Alley. But tell me more about that. Of course. Yeah, um, it'd be a pleasure. Um, So, yes, I'm a chartered accountant, um, trained and qualified in an audit role uh, many, many years ago at a firm in Teesside called Clive Owen & Co. Uh, Moved into corporate finance after that and uh, have moved around uh, a little bit in the northeast with a a few firms. I had a great time and in January of 2019 decided to set up my own business um, alongside my business partner Phil Williams uh, where we did we formed corporate finance uh, boutique Williams Alley Corporate Finance um, was previously uh, called uh, Leathers Corporate Finance Um, we did a little buyout in a rebrand of March last year and uh, I guess that's when Williams Alley was born of course uh, so in terms of corporate finance uh, I should probably explain what that means to some of the listeners because uh, lots of people I speak to don't tend to know what corporate finance means but uh, I effectively I'm involved in mergers and acquisitions um, I'm a transactional advisor um, I obviously look at things with my accounting hat on uh, as I am a qualified accountant but um, I help businesses above and beyond what I, I guess a traditional accountant would with the compliance services um, so I might be a business owner who has built a business over a period of time and wants to retire Uh, I'll I'll help them uh, exit the business and uh, achieve a sale it might be a much younger business owner who wants to retire for other reasons I can I can help them sell Um, but on the flip side I can help businesses grow Um, so that might involve helping a business acquire somebody else a competitor uh, a business in a completely different sector an area that they want to get into Um, and Alongside that, obviously, there's there's other multiple things that we can do to help the strategic growth of a business. And uh, that's the other main part of my day-to-day job now. And it's fundraising. So be it debt fundraising, be it equity fundraising, um, I can help a, a, a business that wants to develop in any which way that they might want to and need funding to do that. I'll help those business owners go out and attract the funding to be able to do what it is they want to do. So the typical business that'll come along and say, hello, Abu, will you help me? Will be somebody with ambitious growth plans, but not with the funds in place to take those plans forward. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, I don't know about ideal. It's one of those where it might sound like I'm just casting a really wide net, but um, I don't have an ideal client. Um, Some of my clients are very, very well-funded businesses that don't necessarily need uh, the the money per se, but they might need the strategic advice and the direction to help them achieve that goal. So I've got a number of clients who are acquisitive, who are sat on significant funds, but they don't know how to identify the businesses they want to buy. Um, so I can work with those businesses as much as I can work with, as you refer to, a really ambitious entrepreneur who 
maybe is in startup mode and doesn't have any funding uh, and has got a great idea, but not really much more. And that's the other end of what I do. And I don't do it a huge amount, if I'm honest, but I, I do get involved in some early stage stuff. And um, again, without trying to be all things to all men, uh, I can get involved in any business of any size at any stage of their growth, uh, all the way from startup through the growth cycle to exit. And that there's typically a role that I can play at sort of any point within that process. That sounds an absolutely fascinating amount of variety in a in a job that every company i guess that you're coming across will have different challenges and what what are the commonest reasons for for saying abu please help us what what's normally missing in those businesses do you find when they come to you well again you're right the the job is so varied and so interesting it's why i love what i do um it's difficult to say the most common thing because I spend probably half my life helping businesses sell. And in those instances, normally it's a case of people really struggle to work out how you even go about selling a business. It's uh, it's not like selling any other significant asset in your life. It's uh, You ain't selling a house or a car. There's not a market out there for it. People typically don't know what their business is worth, never mind who's going to pay the money for it. So I would say when on the disposal side of things, it's a lack of understanding of the process and how you would go about doing uh, what you ideally want to do. Um, and really I, I get heavily involved in those and that's a hand-holding process right from start to finish where i'll help a business owner understand what their asset is worth how they're going to identify potential buyers negotiating with those buyers and then project managing the transaction all the way to completion so it's a really sort of hands-on thorough process where i really become an extension of that management team for the the period in which i'm involved um but then I, I spend a huge amount of time, as, as we referred to earlier, on the fundraising side. And that can be, again, so varied. If it's an early stage business, they might want really quite intense hands-on help with business planning and financial modeling and strategic advice. Or it could be a far more sophisticated business that's already got a great board structure around it. And um, where I'll get involved in a non-exec capacity, where I'll get involved uh, on a far lighter touch strategic uh, engagement. Um, as, as, as you know, Kevin, where we've been involved together in roles in the past, where we, we've uh, we've gone into big businesses that are in no way unsophisticated, but we can still add a bit of value. Absolutely, absolutely. So Abu, that's that selling process. That's, that's one that fascinates me. I know, I know a lot of our, our listeners will be involved in organizations that are being grown with the, the idea of having a transaction at the end of selling a business that's worth something. Uh, firstly, what, what in your view are the key things that make a business valuable to sell? Wow, that's a good question. Um, so many things, really. Obviously, the, the obvious one is the financials. Uh, if you've got a good business that's making good money, uh, has a, a nice, steady, recurring customer base, is producing a, a, a product that is well-liked and uh, popular, or a service that has uh, a significant amount of demand for, you're always going to have uh, an asset there because of the intrinsic financial value. Um, but beyond that, the the, the key uh sort of 
assets that I typically will be trying to show off in a sales process are the management team, the the growth opportunities, um, the strategic development angles. Um, so yeah, I guess it, it really does depend on who the buyer might be and the particular business in question. Um, but yeah, as, as again, you'll know, and I'm sure lots of your listeners will know that um, every business is slightly different and so many businesses have uh, value in lots of things that they do that is quite unique to them. So it's a difficult one to just put uh, a sort of um, a blanket over. And I guess the question that comes on beyond value is you find the other party that's going to buy that business. And uh, I know you get very simple businesses, shops and so on that get sold by folks that are probably just sophisticated estate agents. But we're yeah. talking about something very different here. You're not exactly going to go and, and place an advert saying business for sale. How, how do you go about finding buyers for, for reasonable sized businesses? Uh, again, great question. Um, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons why we are important in that process. Um, as you rightly say, you can't put a for sale sign outside. There's so many negative commercial implications in a business letting its customers and its staff know that it is up for sale. Um, so we have to run incredibly covert, confidential processes. And um, the, the value we bring really is our knowledge, our network and our know-how. Um, so sometimes it'll be a case of we are aware of businesses in the sector and there are sectors that we typically do a little bit more in than others. So we will just know because of our experience who the buyers are at any given time and uh, the, the types of transactions they're interested in and the amounts of money they've got to spend. Um, but other times we've got some quite sophisticated research tools and uh, we know how to go about identifying businesses that we think would be and could be strategically interested. And that's when we have to then go out to our network and try and get in front of these businesses to present opportunities in an intelligent, sophisticated, but confidential way. So it's a, it's a really tricky part of the job. Uh, but again, it's one of the really interesting ones because I get to get in front of hundreds of businesses on a monthly basis to find out what it is they're trying to do and see if I can uh, join the jigsaw pieces uh, with my client and see if there's a deal there. It sounds as though one of the key skills that you've got to have is to be well-networked. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've spent a huge part of my career making sure my network is spread and far and wide as it possibly can. And uh, in the northeast of England, I'd like to think I'm pretty well connected. Um, uh, I could pick up the phone to pretty much any business, um, either directly or through my network. Uh, uh, and that's through the bankers, the lawyers, the the private equity, venture capital houses, wealth managers, uh, the professional network's brilliant and uh, totally find in a relatively small region like the Northeast, uh, there's only so many degrees of separation uh, between you and the person you're trying to get to. Um, but again, the grand scheme of things, the UK isn't that big a place and uh, the network does spread. And uh, if anything, in the last year, it's shown us that technology means that we don't have to geographically be in the same place to be able to do business together. So um, I've been fortunate that I've worked for some big national businesses and it's allowed me to extend my network into London, Manchester, Edinburgh, Leeds, um, just to name a few. 
so yeah, it's absolutely right. The network's hugely important to what we do. So if, if you're advising any of our listeners about networking and how to extend your network, what, what would be the key, key things you'd say? What would you be telling folk to do? Um, don't be shy. Um, I think um, everyone does something interesting. Uh, everyone has a part to play and uh, not enough people talk to the rest of the world about what they do. Um, and it's amazing what you know is out there when you just ask the questions. Uh, so, yeah, I just think there's, there's so many great businesses out there that do what they do quietly. Um, and if they just opened up a little bit more and shouted about what they were doing, the opportunities that would come out of that would be huge. Um, and I get for lots of people, there's lots of reasons why they maybe don't want to. Um, but for the ones that do want to get out there and win more work and do more business, um, there's no reason why you can't attend events. There's numerous events constantly. Again, I know last year has been tricky, but even online through platforms like yourself, uh, I think that there's a huge online network now. And uh, LinkedIn's a hugely powerful tool. Uh, if you really want to, you can uh, you can put a huge amount of information out there and see if uh, you know that there's, that there's other parties out there that are interested. And uh, not to steal a face from you, uh, it's a great way of starting a conversation and seeing where that goes. Absolutely. And we do that all the time through GrowCFO. And we use LinkedIn as one of our main networking tools. But I think it's interesting, but you say that a lot of businesses tend to be heads down and just get on with it and not really try and uh, sell themselves from that networking point of view. I, I find that that kind of be true with finance folk within businesses as well. We're not the sales folk. We're not the marketing folk. We're not the go out to lunch and play a round of golf with folk every day kind of people. And you know, we sometimes forget about that necessity to, to go into LinkedIn and actually connect with a few folk and have a conversation or two. Absolutely. Uh, I think the finance professionals within businesses are obviously incredibly important in the function they provide. Um, but I do think one of the big weaknesses is that they are sometimes too focused in the business and not on the business uh, because typically the, the finance function is going to be such an intense one and such an integral one that the, the key motivations become month end and reporting and making sure the returns are submitted on time. And there's not enough focus on strategy uh, and growth and pushing the business forward and it's amazing when the finance people do raise their head above the parapet how interested we as professional advisors are in speaking to them because typically they know more about the business than quite often the owners do uh because they're just closer to the detail and uh let's say if uh if they did raise their head and they they, they would find and meet some interesting other personalities out there that would probably help them in their day job. Uh, some of the best CFOs I know are great networked people and uh, you know, there's very little advisors can do for them because they're, they're already out there and they've already got great ideas and they know how to push the business forward in so many ways other than just reporting great numbers every month. Yeah, but I, I suppose you come to another thing there, Abu, that that role of the CFO now is so broad that you can't be expected to be a master of everything. So, and I still see the, the role for you and I as, as consultants and advisors, and I'm working with businesses all the time as management consultant, looking at 
financial strategy, investment strategy, things like that. You're working with businesses around uh, either raising funds or helping them sell. Now, you can't expect, in my view, I think, a CFO to have all of those skills and certainly not to be an expert because you will never use all those skills every day the way we do. No, absolutely not. And uh, again, I, I think you, you've hit on a really key point there and that I'm a huge believer in bringing in the right expertise to deliver certain projects or tasks because you can't be an expert at everything. And some of the, the difficult businesses and situations I found myself in are when people overextend themselves and try and do something that's maybe a little out of their depth. Um, uh, CFOs have a key role. Uh, and they should always focus on that key role. I think the main point I guess I was trying to make, and I think the CFOs listening should hopefully maybe try and just be alive to, if I was to pass on any knowledge, is um, maybe be aware of the options out there. You don't have to be the person that transacts them, but you just need to know that if something comes up, that's the person I need to go and speak to and make sure they take care of it. Um, I always remember working for a, a director in PwC in my early consulting days, and Alan would know three or four things about everything yeah. and somebody who knew the detail, and that's how he was successful. He could have at least that five or ten minute elevator conversation with the client, find out what was needed, and then say, and here's the guy who can help you. And I, I think the CFO's got to be in that position as well that knowing enough about things to know that he needs help, that this, this, and this need to be done and go out and get it done. Because he can't do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, as you say, CFOs typically have far too much on their plates as is. Uh, and, you know, you can only do so many things at any one time and you focus too much energy on one task. You typically don't give enough attention to something else. Um, so I, I think the ability to delegate tasks to the appropriate people is massive. And I think lots of management people think when you start talking about delegating tasks, they assume you mean internally. Delegating works outside of the organization too. If you need to bring in somebody to help with a task, do it. Uh, especially if you know that person's going to do it better, quicker, and more efficiently. It's, it's, that's the right decision for the business. And, you know, you, you strip it all back. And that's what a CFO or any sort of uh, exec level person around the business should be doing. They're, they're making the decisions on behalf of the business for the benefit of the business. And sometimes you need to be big enough uh, to be able to say, I need to bring in the expertise to help me do this. Because um, if I try it myself, I might mess it up. And asking for help is no sign of weakness. Absolutely not. Um, some of the most sophisticated people I deal with, hugely successful business owners, uh, are fantastic at surrounding themselves with the best advisors. Um, and that's not me trying to talk myself up. I'm talking about the, the really good law firms, the really good banks, the really good venture capital funds uh, in the region that you will bring in when you need to. Um, there's a huge, huge network of non-exec and advisors and consultants in the northeast community who are doing a fantastic trade uh, again it's one of the trends that I, I, I quite like to see uh, the amount of businesses that are putting in a real strategic advisory board around them to make sure they're bringing in the right experience expertise and skills to help them get to where they want to get to um, i much prefer dealing with a business that's got a team of advisors around it than a one-man band who's trying to do everything himself uh, they're the difficult transactions. So 
in terms of those those clients you deal deal with on a, a day to day basis, Abu. Um, now, what do you generally find in terms of the finance folk there? Are they they generally folk that are really good on top of their game, or are you, do you repeatedly see certain I don't really want to say weaknesses, but things that you you would wish that they 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 abilities they wish they developed. Um, again, very much a mix. Um, I, I deal with some great businesses. I, I'm working with two right now who have some of the best finance functions I've ever worked with. These are hugely sophisticated people who have come from big. Uh, accountancy firms uh, the two in question both of them have come out of Deloitte and these are really intelligent very sophisticated guys and it's a pleasure working with them because I know if I get asked any questions on the financial aspect of the business uh, they've got a brilliant handle on things but um, the frustrating ones I think you're absolutely right are businesses that maybe don't give the finance function enough respect and attention Um, I, I still deal with businesses all the time that don't have a finance function at all where the md will on an evening process a load of uh, the invoices and the payments because it's just seen as an admin task and they won't understand the the strategy behind uh, what a, a truly experienced cfo can do for a business um, the amount of businesses that will outsource an entire finance function to a bookkeeper because they see it as a commoditized uh, process as opposed to a, a strategic element to helping the business develop and grow. Um, they're quite frustrating ones as well because it's difficult to, you know, implement any form of financial strategy uh, or direction into those businesses. So, yeah, I think uh, the frustrating part is when, you know, a business doesn't have the appropriate finance function. And unfortunately, it does come up more often than not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is an absolutely fascinating look at the, the world of, of corporate finance. And where do you see Williams Valley going in the next 12 months? I know you're a young business. Where do you see the future? Um, we're really quite excited about the future, actually. It's been a, a difficult year for, I'm sure, lots of people. Um, but we've found in the last few months, there's been a huge bounce in the market and um, we're really busy right now. Uh, I can say that I am busier now than I've ever been in my corporate finance career. And I've been fortunate to have uh, worked in some great firms where we've been busy and done lots of transactions, but um, I don't know if it's pent up demand or um, the fact that the market generally is looking really positive going forward, but uh, there's a huge amount of activity right now. Um, so yeah, we're, we're feeling really good about things. Um, there certainly seems to be a huge amount of confidence um, and we're seeing it across an entire range of transactions. So we've got lots of disposals on, which is lovely, but we've got a huge amount of fundraising and investment work on with some, really really quite aggressively fast growing businesses which see uh, a great future out there and uh, that fills me with loads of confidence because that's across a range of sectors um, and a range of different sizes of businesses so it feels like the entire market is seeing a bit of an uplift and don't get me wrong i'm sure we will see a few bumps in the road in the next few months as you know full lockdown restrictions ease and government support slows down um, but there still seems to be so much momentum 
and so much public confidence, which feels very different from the 2008 crash, that, um, yeah, right now everything feels really quite bullish. That's that's very interesting. You, you listen to the media on a daily basis, uh, the BBC, the newspapers and so on, they only ever wanted to bring you bad news stories. They only ever want to tell you about the businesses that are failing, the businesses that are whinging. But the reality to me seems to be that there are more businesses that are winning right now than are losing. There are more businesses that are, have really got on top of, of new opportunities that are out there. Agree completely. Um, I think you saw it in the last recession. I think it's been you know widely publicised that that recession went on for far longer than it needed to, uh, largely because of confidence and the media had a huge part to play in consistently pushing out negative stories to convince the public that the recession was going on and on, and we were seeing a really bad economy out there. And the reality just wasn't there uh, to to back that up. And um, Unfortunately, for whatever reason, media seems to push out negative stories above positive stories. I don't know why uh, they, they must get more hits off it or, you know, public seem to read those negative stories more. But, um, yeah, the, the the news, in my mind, doesn't correlate to the reality in any way. Because, as you say, there seems to be a lot more businesses winning than losing right now. And that's not just our view. Um, you know, the, the lawyers in town I'm speaking to, the my corporate finance competitors I'm speaking to, the banks I'm speaking to, everyone's busy. Everyone's got stuff going on. Everyone feels really positive. Um, so it's, it's not my isolated view. It's very much the view of the professional community. We're seeing that in, in Gross CFO as well, talking to finance people in lots and lots of different sectors. Um, okay, there's a few in hospitality that we know have had a really tough time. And we know the hotel industry has been hit. We know the pub industry has been hit. Um, but so many other places, there's good news stories. Um, we're working regularly with, with Andrew Waters at Xander, and Andrew keeps telling me the, the recruitment pop market is, is really positive. We're, we do the future of the finance function every Tuesday lunchtime with Chris Treadwell from Akilla, and Chris constantly tells me that uh, Akilla's order book and lead book for, for new finance systems is as strong as it ever was, or is stronger because people need to work in a different, more remote, more agile way. Um, technology is still moving forward at a phenomenal rate. And I, I think we've one of the reasons that things are, are growing so fast is we've, we've made a two or three year leap in technology over the last 12 months. Absolutely. Again, I think you, you, you've uh, hit on it perfectly there. I think the adoption of technology in the last year has been brilliant. I'd like to think of myself as a, a quite tech-focused uh, business owner anyway, and I love working with the tech community in the north of England, but it's been brilliant to see the businesses uh, be agile and move to uh, whatever form of work they needed to do. So you're right, the leisure sector has been hit hard. My family's in the leisure's, leisure industry. Uh, that's where you know my, my, my dad, my uncle, my cousins have all made the, the predominant part of that, their wealth. Um, and I, I, I've seen personally how bad it's been impacted. But likewise, um, I, I see how well some of those businesses have moved. Um, one of my best friends is head of finance at a big leisure company out of London. And uh, um, I met him last weekend for a coffee and um, he was telling me how they've been able to adapt and uh, flexibly adjust their business model. And they're predominantly in the hotel, coffee shop uh, 
sort of uh, sector. And they, they've just embraced um, Deliveroo and Uber Eats, and they've completely flexed their business model. And the grand scheme of things, alongside the government support, they've had a really good year, all things considered. And they now see a different way of doing business going forward. They've also used the year to really focus on cutting the fat in the business. So they've now got a leaner, more efficient business going forward. And um, I think it's just the way you look at it. Um, There's lots of businesses that um, have suffered and unfortunately lots of businesses will suffer. But um, I think with enough sort of impetus behind you, I think if, if you're willing and wanting, you can uh, flex to the current sort of lockdown restrictions or you could have uh, flexed and you could still prosper and plenty of businesses have. Abba, that, that is a fascinating piece of insight and there's a few people better placed than you in the centre of the, the corporate finance world. So uh, seeing the spectrum of what's going on and that has been a fantastic canter through corporate finance, the, the, the state of the markets as it is at the moment, the state of the economy. Abu, thank you very much for joining us on the Gross CFO Show.